Good morning. How is everyone? Good. For those of you I don't know, my name is Amy Elliott. I am a therapist, and I'm also part of the sermon writing team. And so when the pastors are gone, I speak at the various campuses, and so it's always fun to be here. Now, I have to start with a confession to you. I confess that I can get sucked into reality TV shows pretty easily. And so my daughter and I recently, I braid her hair in the morning, and we have started watching this show. It's not a new show, but Say Yes to the Dress. Do you know, do people know of this, right? So if you've never seen this show, the premise is this. This girl who is engaged and is going to be a bride goes to this fancy shop in New York, and she's all excited, and she brings usually her mom and her friends and kind of her little entourage. And so she goes into the fitting room, and they put her in a dress, and the girl is like, this is so me. This is like, this is so me. And she's so excited, and she's getting all teary, and she goes out and she stands in front of the group. And what does the group do? They just like, right, tear her apart. That is the ugliest thing ever. You look like a cupcake. Where's grandma's doily, right? And they just go off on the girl and you can see it. She's like, oh, okay, well, I I guess I don't like it that much. I guess, never mind, never mind. And she, crestfallen, goes back to the fitting room, right? A minute ago, it had been like the dress of her dreams, That was so her. And now she's all sad going back to the fitting room. And so I have promised my daughter that if she will take me wedding dress shopping with her. Now, mind you, she's 10. And so she's convinced me that if you already have a brother and a dad in a house, why would you voluntarily invite another boy in? And so, but I told her just in case, like in 20 or 30 or 35 years, when you change your mind and you're going to go dress shopping, please take me. I promise that I will sit on that little couch and I'll be like, right, I will be so happy and I will not say a thing until you tell me how you feel about that dress, right? Because you don't need my approval. If you love that, you don't need me to approve of it to say, oh yeah, that is you. And so we've, we've struck this little deal. But as I started thinking about that approval factor, I started realizing it is like pervasive, in so many reality TV shows. You have The Bachelorette, which is the ultimate, choose me, choose me, who do you need me to be so that I get the rose? Tell me I'm okay, tell me I'm good enough. And then you have The Voice, which upon first glance looks like it's all about talent, right? But then they get you on their team, and what's the first thing they do? A makeover, so that more people will vote for you and like you and approve of you. And so today, we're going to talk about this idea of approval, because it's not just in reality TV. It is everywhere, right? It's in your jobs, it's in your schools, it's in your friend circles. And I would love to say that it goes away as you get older, but it doesn't. That whole need for approval, what are people thinking of me, is a constant struggle for many of us. And so we are challenged with this idea that God has created each of us uniquely. Your gifts are not your gifts, and your gifts are not your gifts. But if any of you showed up trying to be something you're not, you deprive the rest of us of the gifts God gave you. Right? When we try to fit into the mold that somebody else has for us, we move away from the plan God gave us. Does that make sense? When I try to be who you want me to be, I move away from what God has designed for me. And it's a hard thing to be. But we have to trust. Sorry, this thing is going to drive me nuts. 
uh, we have to trust that God has created us and approved of us and already tells us, you are good enough. Now go show the world. Go walk in this. So how do we then walk through this life without desiring for other people's approval to constantly tell us we're on the right track, to make us feel good inside? Well, we're in church, so what is always the answer? Jesus, right? If you've been in Sunday school, if anyone asks you a question, there are only two answers. It's either Jesus or read the Bible. In this case, it's Jesus. So we look to Jesus. How do we do this, God? God, Jesus, God incarnate, flesh, shows us through this week that we're going to be talking about, through this Easter Holy Week. And the story of Palm Sunday reminds us of how fickle crowds and people really can be. You've heard that saying, 15 minutes of fame, right? There's a reason that's a saying. Because it's really popular and really great until it's not. Those of you who are familiar with 80s and 90s movies will remember, do you remember the Brat Pack? This group of teenagers. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is completely worth investing your time in. So there's this group of teenagers, and John Hughes made a bunch of movies, and inevitably it was kind of a similar storyline. Either girl falls in love with jerk and then realizes everything else her best friend has to offer. Boy thinks he really wants the popular, beautiful girl, but the thing he needed was next to him all along, right? And then it usually ends sitting cross-legged on a table over a cake and kissing. 16 candles, right? So the queen of this group was Molly Ringwald. Now, if you're under 30, do you know who Molly Ringwald is? She was the deal, though. She was in, like, every movie. And now, no one talks about Molly Ringwald. Paris Hilton. She was everywhere. I don't know that she's ever actually done anything, but she was everywhere. She might have. I don't mean to disparage her. Uh, she was everywhere, and now you don't see her that much anymore. The world of sports, right? Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong. Um, who was the guy who nibbled on the other one's ears? Mike Tyson, right, until he started his nibbling. Uh, so all these people that they're so big in the moment, and then they just fall out. We had these magazines, Teen Beat, where all of the sensations were in, and the girls are all excited about the heartthrob of the week. Now those people, 98 Degrees, Backstreet Boys, all those guys, they're like playing in casinos somewhere because their 15 minutes of fame are gone. And why is that? Because people are inherently fickle. What we think is cool now is not cool tomorrow. And so we're going to look at an example of this. We're in Matthew 21, and the kids who did an awesome job, and the reading was great, um, that's where we're finding ourselves today. So we are at Palm Sunday, which means we are at the Sunday before Easter, resurrection. And so in this time, everyone, all the Jews are coming to Jerusalem because they're having a big feast. They're having a big festival, and it's the Passover which they're going to celebrate in this, this week. Remember, Jesus celebrates the Passovers with his disciples. That's the Last Supper. That happens Thursday. And so they're all, everyone's descending upon Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And these are people, the Jewish people are an oppressed people who have been kept down and marginalized. And so they're waiting for their Messiah. And all the scriptures talk about Messiah. Right? He's going to come and he's going to set his people free. And so that's what they are waiting for. And they would all know what they're envisioning. 
And so Jesus has come to Jerusalem too. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So it's interesting because in the Gospel of Matthew, they refer to, Matthew refers to two animals, the donkey and the colt. Other Gospels only say one. But the reason that there are two is that the colt would have been unridden. So it's a baby. And so the mama donkey would be right next to it, kind of showing it where to go. That's why there's two animals. And what's interesting is it takes place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why is that important? Because people were waiting for Messiah, and their idea of Messiah was one who's going to come in and set us free. Someone who's powerful and big and strong, and they're just going to vanquish our oppressors and it'll be done. Right? In that day, when conquerors came back, they would often have parades like we're going to see, and people would line the streets, and the victor would come in on a beautiful golden chariot, often with the heads of the conquered on little stakes on the chariot. And ride through. And here we have Jesus trotting in on a donkey. Right? And a donkey is a symbol of gentleness and humility. And so they're looking for Messiah. And we have Jesus trotting in on his little colt and donkey. And so from the very beginning of this holy week, we see that Jesus is up to something different. The crowd has expectations of what Messiah is, of who Jesus should be. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not what God has expectations for. So from the very beginning, Jesus is inverting this idea of what salvation is going to look like. Right? Oh, he's going to be a big conqueror. Mm-mm. He's coming in on a donkey. And he's going to save us all. And you remember, for those of you who know the story, they were shocked and stunned that their Savior was going to die such a horrible death and be crucified like that? How does that make sense at all? And, and we're going to be free, and we're going to be in charge. And Jesus is saying, no, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So he's just appending. The whole Bible just it turns on its head what is popular and known and expected and approved of. And so Jesus is setting this new standard that moves him toward God, and away from that mold that others have for him. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. A sign of respect. The crowds went ahead of him, and those followed, shouting, Hosanna, that means the Lord save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? There's excitement. There's, There's fervor building, right? I don't know about you, but... If I were walking and everyone's coming and, like, cheering me on, I, I think it would be hard to, like, be normal, right? Don't, wouldn't you be like, oh, hi, hi, hi. It's hard to 
not be vulnerable to that influence. When other people are adoring us, to not lean into that. We were watching um, the Super Bowl years ago. Do you remember when Beyonce did the halftime show? And so we were watching it then, and the whole stadium is, like, erupting and loving her and, and like, trying to, t- the ones down in the bottom are trying to touch her hands, and everyone's shouting her name. And my daughter looked at me during that, and she's like, I want to do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I don't know how you're normal after that. Like, how do you go back to grocery shopping on Monday after that happens to you? Not that I think Beyonce grocery shops, probably. But we all have those moments where people think so much of us and fills us up that we are influenced by that. There's a saying that we all just want to be known. That's not true. If we just wanted to be known, then it would be okay if we were rejected. If you know me and reject me, that's not good. We all want to be known and accepted. That's our deal. That's how we're wired. I want you to know me and to love me. And so it's hard to push against this desire to people please, to make sure that they like me. And Paul writes this warning to the church in Galatia. And he's talking about himself. And he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to do that, I couldn't be a servant of God. People pleasing is a super hard thing. I was talking to a man last week who's great, and he's a people pleaser. That's what he struggles with. And he does really, really kind things for other people all the time. Like, oh, if he's getting a card at the grocery store, he'll give it to other people. He'll let people go first. He'll give you the shirt off his back. But he is becoming disillusioned because... Other people don't do that in return. So he feels like he's always giving, and where is everybody else? Why is no one else acting that way? And so he has, in turn, taken it on as, well, I guess I'm just not worth them doing nice things. Maybe I'm invisible. Maybe people don't want to get to know me, right? He's taking it on internally. And so I was trying to reframe it for him that the truth of the matter is most of us are so bound up and wrapped up in our own stuff, in our own guilt and issues and worries and struggles, that that is what we're stuck inside of. And so when he is doing these nice things, these people are still inside of themselves. And so their reaction, their responses have nothing to do with him and everything to do with them. And so his job is not to try and make people act in a certain way or try to get a certain response. His only job is to show up just how God created him, kind and loving, to show up and be the light of Jesus in every place and every space that he has put. And maybe, just maybe, that light will infiltrate some of those bands that bind the others that he's interacting with. Maybe, but that is not his responsibility. He just gets to be who God made him to be. And that's all of our challenges. We get to be the light where we are put. And the reaction of others is nothing we can change, control, or be responsible for. We just stay true to what Jesus is calling us to. Are we moving toward him or are we moving away from him? The people pleasing though, I mean, I will tell you, it's really I think it's hard on an ongoing basis. We were at a baseball tournament last weekend in Arizona, spring training. My son plays travel ball. And so if any of you have lived in the baseball world, you know 
You spend a lot of time with these families, a lot. And I love them, and they're great. And so we were out one night, and they started, these other parents started to have this conversation about a topic that I, and if you know me, I'm very opinionated. Um, I'm very vocal on this one topic. But, and I'm not going to tell you the topic so you can fill in your own. Um, they started talking. I mean, I choked on my water that I was drinking. That's, I was like, oh my gosh, you just said that out loud. So I was sitting there thinking, what do I do? Because they all had one opinion, and I have a very different opinion. And so I weighed like, oh gosh, well, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, right? Wah, wah, we shouldn't talk like that. Or, you know, Susie Sunshine, it'll be great, don't worry. And so I didn't know what to do because I like them and I want them to like me and I want them to want to hang out with me. So you know what I did? Nothing. I did nothing. When I should have said something, when I should have gently and lovingly entered in, I didn't because I didn't want to rock the boat. And I kind of don't think I'm alone in that. There was an incident during the political season, and I do not care where you fall on politics. This is not about politics. Uh, there was a reporter, Billy Bush, who was on a bus, and he heard a politician. It was, he was miked, and he heard a politician say a horrible thing, and he kind of like laughed along with it, right? And so comes to light. Everyone finds out about this, and everyone is just horrified by Billy Bush, and they castigate him. How could you laugh along with it? That's horrible. And he gets fired from his job and he ends up like in a year of mental health rehab, finding himself. And all I can think, yeah, he did something wrong, but all I could think was who hasn't done that? We are so quick to point out the shortcoming of that man. Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't sat, sat silently just to kind of get the moment to move forward rather than spoken because they were confident, they knew who they were, and they weren't looking for the approval of those they were with. So where are you susceptible to seeking the approval of others instead of God? Are you a people pleaser? People pleasing is interesting because upon first glance, it looks really super altruistic. I want to make sure you have what you need. Do you need anything? Let me take care of you. Let me drive you here. Let me get you that. And it looks like all you care about are the needs of others. People-pleasing is really about, I need you to have that so you know I can take care of you. I need you to do that so I know that you like me. I need you to have this from me so that you'll think I'm good. People-pleasing is a very, very selfish thing. It's all about me needing to know I'm okay because you reflect and tell me that I am. That's people-pleasing. And then there's how I respond to praise and criticism. It's a really good indicator. When we are confident in who we are, whose we are, and that we are good, right? That's one thing. But if you praise me, say your boss praises you, your friends praise you, and you're so, so excited, like, this is the greatest thing ever, maybe you're susceptible to this. Or if you are criticized and you're just undone, I'm a failure, I can't believe I did this, this is horrible, what's happening is that you're taking it on as something about you, right? If you praise me, I am good. If you criticize me, I am bad. And what we're saying is, no, God already told you you're good. You are good because of him. You are chosen. That's truth. So if you give me praise, that means that thing I did is good. If you criticize me, that means I, that thing I did needs to be looked at and improved. 
Those things, my doings, are different than myself. That make that makes good sense? And so if I start to confuse it and my worth becomes a byproduct of whatever I'm doing, my performance informs if I'm worthwhile or not, then I'm too mixed into it. I need to step back and say, okay, I'm good. What is it that I'm doing, saying, being, that needs to be changed, that I'm looking for the approval of other people? And I need to check myself. Because if we're constantly looking for that approval, it's going to change. I hate to tell you, but even this week, someone is not going to approve of you. Someone's going to judge you. That's the world we live in. And what's really fun and good right now isn't going to be fun and good and popular tomorrow. We need only look at hairstyles to see this. 50s, right? They had their hair slicked back. When was the last time you saw someone with fully slicked back hair? Not in a long time. My dad used to have about an inch of hair right here that he somehow managed to cover his entire head in the comb over, classic comb over. Now men just shave their heads and it looks great and everyone loves it. The shaved head is very in right now. There was that style called the rat tail. Do you remember that? Popular one. It's like a little tuft of hair right here that boys grew and then braided. Looked just like a rat tail, which should be everyone's uh, fashion goal. Uh, and then the mullet was also super popular, right? Business in the front, party in the back. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you were a female who had the permed hair. And then if you were super cool, you did the big curls and then feathered. Got a feather back and aquanet. That was super popular. And now, of course, they have nice, beautiful straight hair. We used to wear pants that were really high, the mom jeans. I just saw girls wearing those. They're like back in. Everything comes full circle. My mom told me, she's like, you guys are wearing the clothes we wore. And I, of course, she was wrong because moms are always wrong. And uh, I told her, and then now I'm like, oh my gosh, you were right. You were right. It was popular, and then it's not popular. It is shifting sand if we are trying to keep up with what culture is telling us. And so Paul writes it perfectly. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, if you get nothing else out of today, this is the answer to the problem of how do I stop looking for the approval of others. What do I mean? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Stop trying to fit in with any context you're put in. Stop trying. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every thought you have, every wondering, every question, every belief, all those things, bring them before God and say, here, God, what do you think about them? And then make space for the Holy Spirit to answer you. So instead of quickly reacting, instead of telling you exactly what I think, instead of responding out of my own flesh and my own desires, Make space for the Lord to speak to you and guide you. And then you will know what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. We talk about it a lot. Everything that happens in our minds, everything that you are spinning on, say to God, what do you think? Be still before him and say, what do you want me to do? What's my next step? What's my next direction? How do we stand firm instead of being part of the culture, and culture is going to look different depending on where you're at. If you're a high school student, culture's temptations might be 
vaping and smoking and making out and ditching and a bunch of those things. If you're in the military, it might be what is normal in the military is easy to get sucked into. Like, oh, well, everyone's looking at that. Everyone talks like that. Everyone does that. It's just normal. It's normal for that culture. Or if you're a young mama, and there seem to be a lot at your campus, <laughs> uh, there are the constant barrage of opinions about attachment parenting and breastfeeding and co-sleeping and, right? And you're going to be tempted. Okay, how do I fit in to what everyone else is doing? What's the right way to parent right now? Shifting sand again, right? And so maybe you're thinking, well, what if it's not obvious? Does God care about everything? Mm-hmm. He cares if I co-sleep? Yeah, and I'll tell you how he cares. So if you are a parent who co-sleeps and you're like, it is the best thing ever. I feel so close to my kids. I just, I, I love that family time. Awesome. Go for it. If you are a parent who's like, no, co-sleeping means a knee to my face halfway through the night, and I'm scooted all the way to the edge of the bed, and then I wake up, and I'm super grumpy and irritable. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good mother. Co-sleeping's not for you, right? God is saying, I want you to show up ready to be my light in every place of that day. If you are tired and overwhelmed, you can't do the work he has for you. That's how he cares. That's how he guides you on things you're like, I don't think God cares about. Yeah, he does. Is that decision moving you toward God or away from God? Everyone co-sleeps. Well, you know what? Don't try to fit into the mold of everyone. Is that thing helping the plan God has for you? And with all those things, like we said before, make the space, ask the question, and then wait. Because Jesus has already been through it all. Maybe not co-sleeping, but certainly being tried in every way we could possibly imagine. Remember, Jesus was fully God and fully human. And the fully human part is super important. In Hebrews, Hebrews 2.17, the writer says, For this reason he had been made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's next Sunday, right? Atonement for the sins, Resurrection Sunday. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was tried Jesus was tempted. Before he begins his public ministry, he spends 40 days in the desert. No eating, no drinking. He is like the Snickers commercial, right? He's got to be hangry at some point. Blood sugar levels are low. Devil comes in and tries to tempt him. And Jesus at any point could have been like, you know what? I'm, I'm God. I'm out. I don't want to do this. But he doesn't. He stays in it and doesn't fall to temptation. Before he is crucified. So before, on Thursday night, the, the Last Supper happens, and then he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows it's going to be a painful death. And so he's praying, and he's so overwhelmed, he actually starts sweating blood. It's a physiological reaction when the body cannot handle the stress and anxiety anymore. And he's physically sweating blood because it's too much. And instead of saying, God, let's do this a different way. Let's save these people in a different way. He goes through it. Why? 
Because the beauty of Easter is not just the resurrection that provides eternal life for all of us. That is certainly an amazing and wondrous component. But the little hidden beauty there is he suffered because he loved us enough to do it. And now we can look at it and say, my situation is hard. And I am tempted and I am torn. But I serve one who already made it through. And he's living and dwelling in me. And so his strength and his power is enough to get me through whatever I am going through. He's already got it. He's already done it. But we have to resolve that we're going to keep focused on him. That he's going to be the one right in the front row. All of you have a whole audience of people looking at you. What are you going to do? What do you think? What's coming next? Why did she say that? Why did he do this? Right? You have a million voices you could listen to. And we wrote it this way because the idea is, who's in your front row? Who's right there? You know the uh, nervous kid at a recital? Like, just make eye contact. Just stay right there. You want someone in your front row who thinks of you the way you want to think of yourself. I wish I could see myself the way that person sees me. And if God is in your front row, we already know how he sees you. He thinks you're great. He thinks you're amazing. He loves exactly how he created you. And so if he's right there and you're focused on him and you're looking for his approval alone, you're always going to be moving toward him. The writer of Hebrews goes on so that in 3.1 he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. There's that mind thing again. Everything that passes through on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Because one of the greatest truths is that people all around us are going to be fickle. They will. But Jesus is always faithful. It never changes. Christ is, as fa is faithful as the sun over God's house. And we are his house. Do you know what that means? We are his holy dwelling place. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God. If you believe that this amazing Holy Week leads to a crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of God, and through that Son you are saved, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If that's the case, you are housing God, which is pretty amazing. And so we can hold firmly to that confidence, and most importantly, the hope that we have in which we glory. We always have hope. Stephen Furtick writes it this way, I have nothing to prove because I am already approved. Okay, I am not naive. I do not think you're going to leave this place and be like, I don't need people's approval anymore. I'm free. That we're going to pray a little bit, read some scriptures, and you're going to be never people-pleasing again. That is not reality. But I do want to introduce this idea that you can always make space for the Holy Spirit to tell you which direction to go. That you can always look to God to tell you what his plan is for you. That you never have to look for the approval of others, of those around you. Because God's already told you, you're okay. And so I challenge you in these coming weeks, months, years to say, when things happen, hold on, am I trying to fit into the mold you have for me? Or am I looking to the, the plan God has for me? Am I moving toward God? or away from God. 
And that's just an easy thing to be curious about, to bring yourself back to him. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we leave this place, you guys all got these from the kids, right? And I confess this to the first service. I was a little disappointed because I thought they were going to be the palm fronds. Did anyone else grow up Catholic? Right? So you got those palm fronds, right, which you first battled your sibling with, and then you made into a cross that you hung on the wall, and then it dried there. You go to your grandma's house, and there's like 92 of them, right? Um, so, but these are great because these won't die. And so put this somewhere you're going to see it. Put it in your glove compartment. Put it in your desk at work. Put it in your backpack to go to school where you know what it means. This means Jesus is coming. Jesus is Lord, and I am loved. Let it remind you that you're not looking to this world for approval, that everything that's going to happen this week is what we are all about, facing the cross, kneeling before it, and then just glorying in our Savior. And so the band is going to play a song for us where we get to celebrate this. What God is about to do, he's already done, but we're going to celebrate this next week. And so just take this with you. And remember, you are loved, you are chosen, and you are already approved of. And why don't we all stand together as we close. try and do it without the kids. We'll see how well it goes. Greatest day in history. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. Empty cross, the empty grave. Love eternal. You have won the day. Shout it out. Jesus is alive. Happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same. Forever I am changed. When I stand in that place, Free at last, meeting face to face. I am yours, Jesus, you are mine. Enjoy perfect peace. Earthly pain finally will cease. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. He's alive. Oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. 
forever I am changed And oh, what a glorious day What a glorious way That you have saved me Glorious name, what a glorious name. Oh, you have saved me. Oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Forever I am changed. Amen. Thank you guys for coming to New Break this morning. If you guys need prayer for anything, we'll have some uh, some of our deacons up here who would love to spend some time with you. And if you have any questions or wonderings, please please head out to guest services. Have a great week.